0: Greetings, everybody, and howdy, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Keith Billick, and I hope you're all having a great summer so far. Although with the uh, the current situation, it's, it's hard to keep track of the days and months and weeks, uh, but I'm pretty sure it's summer. It's been nice out and warm. But one thing I know for sure is that whatever time of the year it is, It's the perfect time of the year to be listening to some great new banjo music, and that is partially the reason why I'm doing this new freshly picked series. For those of you new to the podcast, or for those who maybe have not uh, heard the last few episodes, typically this podcast features either banjo lessons taught by uh, myself or someone else, but the vast majority of them are one-on-one interviews with either some of your or my favorite players or maybe some players that you didn't know about but now get to discover. But they're they're all very inspiring, and, and I love getting to do that. However, the current situation limits me from getting together with these players. So a new approach is to just feature good new music that's coming out, and that's what the Freshly Picked series is all about. And this is going to be the second Of those episodes. And this one will feature an album titled Primetime by the trio Crary Evans and Barnick. Bill Evans, of course, being the banjo player of that trio, and this being a banjo podcast. He will be the one that I'm talking with today as a spokesperson for the group. And you'll get to hear all about that. Uh, But first, I just want to remind you of a few other things. Uh, One thing I kind of teased last episode. That I finally have an online merch store up and running. Well, that's, that's official. So anybody who wants to pick up your officially licensed picky fingers, t-shirts, or stickers, please head to banjopodcast.com. Visit the store there. And, you know, I've, I've already seen some photos floating around of some of the guests on this podcast, you know, Ned and Greg Cahill and Mike Sumner and a bunch of others. They they all have their t-shirts, t-shirts and they're looking uh, pretty darn good. So if you want to look and sound like the pros, that's what you got to do is uh, head over to banjopodcast.com and check that out. Another way to distinguish yourself amongst your peers is to head over to patreon.com slash banjopodcast. That's the way to uh, make a monthly donation to directly support the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast it's available for free of course but uh it's not free to create and it does take a lot of time so i greatly greatly appreciate everyone who's visited that site and helped me out on there and in fact today as always we have a very special patron to give a shout out on the show he is a banjo player known only as greg so in the the long line of amazing celebrities, Prince, Madonna, Beyonce, and now we have Greg. Greg, thank you so much for your support. He was taking Skype lessons from Davy Jones, which I I always love to hear about people who are interacting with past guests of the podcast. Just makes me feel like we have a nice tight-knit community and I know that that's true. So uh, yeah, Greg, thank you so much again. Once again, for all the rest of you, patreon.com slash banjo podcast is how you check that out. You can also get a hold of me via email with any of your questions, comments, suggestions, concerns. Uh, That email address is pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Love hearing from all of you there. Track me down on social media. On uh, Instagram, I can be found picky underscore fingers. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Banjo Podcast. And if you are on Facebook, there is actually a special group just for listeners of the show to discuss banjo things and and related items. And if you search for the group called Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, listeners, fans, and friends, just ask to be a member of that. And I pretty much accept everybody so um, we can all communicate about more banjo things because what else is there to, to talk about these days? So, yeah, hope to see you all on one of those platforms. And that's the way to keep in touch. All just to get to you. I ran too hard. I played too rough. I gave my love not near enough. I bled too red and cried too blue. I beat my fist up against the moon. All just to get to you. Today's freshly picked episode features the album called Primetime by the trio Crary, Evans, and Barnick, featuring, of course, banjo player Bill Evans, who you all know from, well, from everywhere. He's Bill Evans, you all know him, uh, and he was also profiled back in episode 19. But he returns to talk about this new release featuring him, as well as guitar legend Dan Crary, and also the prolific California-based bass player and singer Wally Barnick. Really, there's not much more I'm going to say about it. Bill Evans is always a fantastic communicator and presenter and always very gracious in his praise for his bandmates, which he does here. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Bill. And if you came for the banjo music, I hope you stay for the pleasant and very mood-enhancing wind chimes in the back of his New Mexico home. Uh, They creep in there in the background of the interview, which, which is really nice. It's nice and relaxing. So check all that out. Check out the new album, and take it away, Bill Evans. Hey, first of all, it's great to see you. I, I missed you at.
1: Uh, were
0: you supposed to be at banjo camp this year? I think.
1: Oh, I'm all. I'm always supposed to be at banjo camp. I was so lucky to get booked at all these events, but uh, but as we know, they've all been canceled here. So I was going to be there, and I would have seen you, but didn't happen. Yeah. Well, just dis- disappointed about that, of
0: course, but glad we could touch base. Do you have anything to report regarding your? fame and riches that have happened to you since your first appearance on the podcast I'm, I'm sure that that happened as a direct result right
1: I have heard from so many people who listened to that, and we got kind of emotional and talked about life as much as we talked about banjo. And a lot of folks are out there listening to you, Keith, and I got such tremendous feedback from, uh, you know, from a lot of people saying that they had heard it and it was inspirational to them. And I know we kind of went on the deep end, uh, and I guess one can still listen to that podcast also, right? And uh, Oh, of course, yeah. They're yeah. all still there, yeah. And so it was, it was a joy. You know... A lot of things have changed uh, since that time. I've, I've uh, married a wonderful gal who plays banjo. Her name is Barbara. Her nickname is Babby. And she's got a yeah. couple couple albums out with her band. and And she's a really creative player. And we're playing a lot of music together, especially since the shutdown. And uh, I moved to New Mexico, and so I live. Uh, moved from the San Francisco Bay Area with its millions of people to um, an area in New Mexico where I have to drive two to three hours to get to the closest airport. Uh, and, wow! And and six what a mi- change of pace for you! That's yeah, crazy. And six miles to the post office, uh, ten miles to the grocery store. So, but it's beautiful out here, and I'm at 6,500 feet near the town of Rio So, we get four seasons. It's nice, it's great. and you know, in this time of shutdown, I'm doing a lot of things online, like a lot of people and mm-hmm. uh, and feeling blessed, really, just feeling lucky. good, yeah, I can tell just
0: by your demeanor that you it's a a welcome change. You're not missing the hubbub
1: too too greatly, it seems like. no, and I think <laughs> I think in many ways. Just given the way that my career direction has gone, uh, including a focus on teaching, that I was kind of ready for this. Um, And so, you know, I'm putting more emphasis in the online lessons at Peghead Nation, and I'm doing a lot of uh, uh, teaching one-on-one online. And then also something that I just decided to do really early on is I did, uh, I've got four workshops up and running that are now on YouTube, and uh, mm-hmm. you could just enter Bill Evans Banjo and you'll get to the channel. They're absolutely free, and they're you know 75 minutes to an hour and a half long on topics that I would teach at a place like like the Midwest Banjo Camp on Scruggs Backup, working up solos, understanding melodic style. We even did a, yeah. a, blue, a bluegrass trio vocal harmony workshop with my daughter and my wife, and uh, those have been watched by thousands of folks, and that just makes me feel good that I can, you know, reach people a- at this time. And you know, I think the whole point is to still find ways to let music bring us joy. And we can't necessarily be in the same room together, but but through these workshops, I feel like um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do what I can at any rate, just as you do what you can with the Picky Fingers podcast.
0: Yeah, I sure am, and I've seen all those things that you're that you're posting. You you know you you put those out there on on social media and stuff. And it is kind of ironic, right? That in the middle of a shutdown, we're almost in a golden age of online access to living room concerts of people who you're thousands of miles away from, and you wouldn't be able to see them play live in your hometown, except now you, now you can and it's on a screen and it's a little different, but in a way it's, I I don't know, like, like I said, it's sort of a paradox that, we're, we're shut down in one way, but in another
1: way, we're opened up even more. Right. And and from the presenter perspective, and I know that maybe you experienced this too, we're, we're all kind of like the blind leading the blind and trying to figure out how to do this in the best yeah. way. And uh, and I'm still learning as I go. And I've been very lucky in that, uh, you know, I have not had severe problems yet. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I took... I put a lot of energy and work into those, and I needed to take some time off. But I anticipate getting started with um, with those uh, online sessions again. I usually do them on my Facebook page as Facebook Live events, and then I move them to YouTube about a week later, where they where they're easier to find. And then another thing, um, you know, I'm hoping that we'll get back to events next year, and I I think it's too soon to tell. Uh, We have an incredible living situation here in New Mexico um, where we call it the the Banjo Compound. I have to change that name. That's a little bit too... uh, too militaristic, but but we've got we've got um, room to to have guests here, and we've got plenty uh-huh. of space to social distance. Uh, a big deck overlooking the mountains, lots of spaces where, if we were to do a small event of up to five students, everybody could spread out uh, and practice, uh-huh. and I could go, and we could even have sessions together on a huge porch outside. So we're gearing up towards maybe trying some of that in the fall, just depending upon. How um, you know how the virus is spreading and where we are? You know, in terms of of that in the fall, and I think it's just impossible to tell. And in the meantime, I'm working on three books, and I've got a, uh, a banjo in America DVD that's set to come out soon. And of, I'm to- of one of the live performances. Well, there's this wonderful guy named David Bragger who has uh, Tiki Parlor recordings in Los Angeles, and he does these incredible. Um, Videos of old time Mm -hmm. artists, and uh, in the '90s he played rock and roll and worked for MTV, and uh, and then and I love these crazy stories though. Uh, He convinced being in Hollywood or being in Los Angeles, he convinced one of these television shows that do home makeovers to come into a one of his rooms and totally remake the room as a tiki parlor. So he's got this. He, leather couch and all it's just it's a great set and if you just go on YouTube and enter Old Time Tiki Par or you know he's hes recorded dozens of old time musicians and I convinced him to do a banjo in America and we recorded it in May of 2019 I did 19 songs on 11 banjos and we just haven't put it out yet but it'll yeah, be available cool. as, it'll be available as a DVD set CD in one and uh, that's ready to go and I'm also about three quarters of the way through another bluegrass album of most original instrumentals. It got interrupted with um, the isolation and the inability to get everybody in a studio, but that's going too. So I, I, guess, oh, how I'm, exciting. I guess I'm pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it in, in creative ways too, which is... The, I'm excited boring. about the books. I'm writing... Um, Kristen Scott Benson uh, is doing stuff for Hal Leonard and she did a great uh, beginning banjo book. And she uh, is part of their 25 great blank solos series and so in this case it's 25 great banjo solos and she made Mm -hmm. it halfway through and she asked me to come and take take up the rest of of the book and so we'll have Uh. profiles and interviews with players who have passed and players who are still around with a sample tab and a recording and uh, that book is going to be out next year i'm working on that i'm working on an exercise book kind of like a patterns for jazz kind of book that's a long range long-term project and um the third book I can't remember right now. <laughs> It'll come back to me. But I wake up and I hope, look at I hope the, it does. <laughs> I, I wake up and I look at the long list of things that I have to do, and I try to do a little bit on each of them. And and, I mean, and, then, again, you f- and then you see this Keith guy
0: wanting you to figure out technology and how to record, yeah. and yeah, and it's, it becomes apparent you're not going to get anything done this afternoon.
1: Uh, oh no, it's fine. You know. And speaking of, you know the, the current moment we're in and I have this new album with Dan Crary and Wally Barnick and we can we can kind of shift over to that of course I, you know I'm I'm discovering that not all the young folks know who Dan Crary even is uh-huh. and and of course for you and I I'm older than you I have a feeling Dan Crary was an incredibly important guitar player back in the 70s yeah. uh, one of the first guys to ever you know flat pick lead guitars for fiddle tunes ever and um, he was the first person who called me we had done a tour of the Northwest in late January, uh, small house concert kinds of situations. And we all got home. Dan lives in Placerville, California. Our bass player, Wally Barnick lives near in the San Luis Obispo area of California, beautiful central coast. And I'm in Rio New Mexico. And Dan called me shortly after we all got home after the tours, early February. And he was like saying, man, this, this virus that we're hearing about from China, I think is going to affect us. And sure enough, and if we can all put ourselves back in that that time remember how things were moving so fast it was like every yeah. day the mm-hmm. world seemed different and and so we've canceled all the tours you know all the touring that we had and But we still got this new record out and trying to find ways to spread the word about that and I more or less produced the record uh, for the trio, and I wanted to really feature Dan. he turned eighty years old in two thousand and nineteen, which is an amazing accomplishment that uh, he 's still playing and sounding so great and uh, Dan is really wonderful arranger he 's very eclectic in terms of his musical taste and I feel like um, as we were getting into the CD, I think we were all surprised. It turned out better than we thought it would. <laughs> so. oh, well, that's that's a great
0: feeling to have. And uh, to your point about people not knowing who Dan Crary is, I, I I won't forget my first time seeing him because I was in a young band and we had gotten a, a showcase slot for the National Folk Alliance down in Nashville that year. So it was kind of a big deal for us. And, and we're going down there, a lot of anticipation and who who is playing before us at our big anticipated showcase but uh, Crary and uh, Beppe Gambetta when they were doing that duo. And of course just brought the house down and you could just hear the, the oxygen being sucked out as we <laughs> walk onto the stage. It was a little bit of a... <laughs> um a humbling experience to to see those guys and have to go on right after them so i won't forget that but yeah he left an impression for sure
1: yeah we've all been there i you know I was in a band called Cloud Valley in the 1980s with Missy Rains on bass, who, of course, yeah. has moved on to many exciting things. And I used to I used to refer to the breeze created by the folding of lawn chairs when we would go <laughs> on stage for, for our festival set. You know, it would kind of blow right. our hair back, people actively <laughs> actively leaving. <laughs> but, yeah. but no. But Dan, yeah, very, Dan's wonderful. Very visceral,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one reason why I think that Dan is... Um, not as—he's um, never promoted himself, you know, very much. And also he decided uh, to, to have an income-earning career as a professor in communications, and he worked at Cal State in Northridge. And, and so he wasn't actively touring beyond a certain point. You know, at that point in time when he was touring with Byron Berline and John Hickman— that was really stretching his schedule. And then when that kind of wrote its course, you know, he spent a good 10 or 15 years not playing all that actively. And, yeah. and of course... Things change if you're off the scene. People are, you know, become not aware of you. But gosh, those Rounder albums—that Rounder album he did with Courtney Johnson and Sam Bush—terrific. And the uh, the bluegrass guitar record, to yeah. my knowledge, it's either the first or second full album of fiddle tunes played on flatpick guitar style. Eric Thompson, uh, the Bay Area guitar player, might have the um, the award for being the very first. But but Dan's record might be the first two, or they're neck and neck, first and second. That would have been back in like '68. So yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those rite of passage recordings for bluegrass
0: guitarists at this point. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so going back to you know, steering us back to, to the new album. That's that's kind of the whole point of why why I tricked you into talking to me and everything. You mentioned it's for his 80th birthday. Now, was that was that a coincidence that this is, gets released and you get to kind of embrace that it was his 80th or was that a a consideration and we need to get this guy back in the studio he's 80 and you know capture what we can of of the talent that he still has
1: Right, I don't think that we were aware of the of the milestone until we were into it, and the recording represents about two years of of sessions. So it took oh. it took a while to it, we didn't like go into the studio for a week and then come out with a full record. We, st- mm-hmm. we had started working on it, and and then I realized, hey. Dan is turning 80, this is a big, big deal. And hence the title prime time that's not a very unusual title and it could mean a number of things. Dan has a tradition of, of calling albums that giving albums ambiguous titles that are pretty interesting. And hmm. so he, he he liked that title as far as it went. and uh, and so Primetime meaning, hey, this is a special milestone in Dan's life also he's sounding really really good so we're catching him in a prime of sorts and the trio was sounding really good too and uh, yeah it's it's i think that Wally and i viewed this as a way to really sp- pay special tribute to Dan i'm not sure that he saw it that way he was just you know but it, yeah it worked out you know, one way or yeah, another yeah
0: well, yeah well talk yeah. talk about that i mean i've i've seen you play in a lot of different configurations but i imagine playing in a trio like that Is quite a bit of an adjustment uh, from, I don't know, your typical bluegrass band. Talk about how that changes, how you have to uh,
1: change your playing to adapt to that, and uh, just what that involved for you. Great question. Um, We do have a mandolin on several of those cuts, and so that Mm -hmm. that more or less gives us a a traditional uh, bluegrass band context in terms of the rhythm, the rhythmic roles of each instrument. Uh, um, What I realized. When I first got into this, Steve Spurgeon was the bass player, and and uh, and everybody knows Steve Spurgeon from the band California, and he wrote "Walk in the Irish Rain." Well-known musician, especially on the West Coast, singer-songwriter, and he left the group. Um, but I was not really intimidated, but I didn't want to screw up. I'll put it that way, because because on the West Coast, Steve Steve and Dan are are you know important people. I quickly realized in in just a couple of rehearsals in. Dan, because of the years that he spent playing with Byron Berline and John Hickman, and he also plays solo as well, uh, and and touring with Bebe, he has a very orchestral rhythmic sound. And the guitar, he's a big man the friggin' Taylor guitar is really big. It, it's like an overgrown Dreadnought-sized guitar, the Dan Crary model. And oftentimes he's retuning to, to grab that low string because, you know, he. if we're in the key of D, for instance, you know, you lower the guitar six string from E to D. Very common kind of thing that people will do. And then his whole rhythmic approach, even for a bluegrass song, is pretty pretty orchestral in terms of the chord voicings and stuff. And so... He ended up taking a lot more room than a regular bluegrass rhythm guitar player would do, and so that made that gave, ironically enough, it gave me room to feel more comfortable, huh. and and so when we're in a trio context, uh, depending upon the material, because it's not all bluegrass, I think I, I, I gave a good deal of thought as to how I was going to treat things rhythmically. So. Um, we do John Hyatt's tune, Memphis, in the meantime, yeah. and that's a funky kind of thing, so I had to kind of, you know, come up with a different kind of backing, and then keep in mind what Dan was doing on guitar and bass. So if anything, it allowed me to explore different ways to come up with accompaniment that, where if the band had been bigger, it would have been more limiting, and I might have fallen back on the the bluegrass, the tried and true Bluegrass banjo, um, you know, roll of roll pattern, you know, throughout uh, yeah. that kind of thing, and there and there's a good bunch of that as well. But and then in in many cases, it, through the sheer act of rehearsing material and playing it live, in some cases for a couple of years, he would do kind of predictable things with chord connecting chords and stuff. And, you know, again, he's he's a he's a very um, skilled accompanist that adds this orchestral feel. So I could imitate. That. So there's a song uh or not imitate. I played with him, basically. You know, he would do the chord voicings. I knew that he was going to do them again, so I I would do them as well. It could so be part there's of the a arrangement at that point. It, exactly. It gets a little more arranged. And, and that's a natural thing rather than just sitting down and, you know, oh, let's try to come up with something interesting. I would just listen to what he would do and then try to match that. And you can hear that on tracks like Memphis in the Meantime, Sonny's Dream. Uh, everything, actually. Um, yeah. Even even 2020 Vision, uh, which kicks off the album, which is Dan's remake of the Jimmy Martin Waltz Time song. He puts it in 4-4, and he adds a lot of rock and roll chords. And, uh-huh. uh, and so I was just following those chords.
0: They say that she's wicked, and maybe it's true. But there's one thing that I do know, she's no longer mine. And walking round wine. That's really interesting that, you, um, that you're focusing on his orchestral type of vibe because I found myself, at often while listening to it, being reminded of like a Kruger Brothers sound. And I had chalked it up to being like the same instrumentation and you guys all kind of have baritone-sounding voices. And I kind of thought that that must be why I was thinking that, but I think that's probably another aspect of it is to the extent that he does sound orchestral, that is an aspect also that the Kruger brothers embrace. And so, I don't know, that that makes even more sense to me, I guess, to hear you say that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, uh, Kruger brothers are incredible. I'm not even sure that Dan has heard them, you know, (laughs) at any, you know, and I mean not being critical of Dan or the Kruger brothers, you know, uh, and he, he, Dan likes to listen to uh, classical guitar music and early music. So Renaissance, uh, medieval music. Interesting. And, um, and, and so that's where that comes from. But yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, you have to kind of figure out what to do. And another important aspect, both Steve Spurgeon and Wally Barnick play electric bass. And, you know, electric bass is kind of not seen so much anymore in bluegrass Mm -hmm. bands. Uh, And um, that is a difference sound you get more sustain and so that you know it's like man it gives a banjo player a break you know because you can you can do more things and you know my own approach has always this isn't going to be very profound it's always been chordal and 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 so when i teach something like this and i bet you you get to a certain level when you're playing and i think we all think about our playing in this way but you know a particular key generates a whole set of positions that aren't just G, C, and D, you know. And so if you get it, start exploring minor keys, you know, you've got different ways of expressing those minor keys depending upon what the mode is. We played a little Sadie, for instance, which, you know, has been a staple of Dan's repertoire for decades, learned from Doc Watson. And that's kind of a different scale than Jerusalem Ridge or something, but it's all minor. Yeah. And so there's a whole, you know, you can, you know, you, th- you start thinking about passing chords, for instance. you know, You know, you look at the basic chord progression, how can I get from one chord to the other? And a lot of times Dan will lead me in that and so i can can relate to what he's doing and sometimes i will create something that he'll that he'll grab onto as well a great example of that actually is um Really, one of my favorite performances on the album is a medley. And the first one is Dan all by himself. And he's performing this song called Rattlin' Roaring Willie. Yeah. And the lyric is from Robert Burns, as I understand it. The melody is from the Irish singer Dick Galgan. Galgan? I might be mispronouncing that. And um, Dan toured Ireland many times, toured the UK, knew Dick. And this lyric is about a person, a fiddler who likes to play fiddle so much that, uh, you know, and drink as well that his drinking got him into such trouble that he had to pawn his fiddle. Uh, so, you know, typical lyric that happens all the time, right? I feel like I know a few of those people. Yeah. Exactly. And then we, we tagged to the end of that just because I had this instrumental written and we didn't know where else to put it. So I, I wrote a song called Winston's jig a number of years ago and we tagged that on the end. And if you, listen to that track Dan plays a great counterpoint to what I'm doing and this just again explores his own you know classical inclinations you know yeah. and, and he created a great track and raised the interest level over and above what I was doing
0: There's also a, a big focus on the three of you singing together. And I guess, I don't know, I've never seen you shy away from singing, but I don't know that I've ever heard you uh, showcased or contribute quite to the level that that you do on the recording. Ta- talk about that. Is that something you've tried to cultivate in yourself? Or maybe I've just not noticed that that you've always been
1: doing that. Thanks for noticing that. Uh, I've always sung, and uh, and I, you know, instead of taking band in school, I took choir, and then mm-hmm. I took madrigal singing in uh, in high school, and we toured all over the state. And um, I've always sung. There have been particular situations that I've been in where I was in bands that had singers that, for lack of a better way to express it, sounded more bluegrass than I did. Uh-huh. So it it would have been silly for me to sing any lead in Dry Branch Fire Squad at all. That would have upset the whole vibe <laughs> of the whole thing. Uh, uh, and and then even in California, you know, I, I was uh, lucky to be in bands with really, really great singers, and they those individuals, be they male or female, really devoted a lot of energy to their singing, mm-hmm. where I just sort of sing. But... Last several years, I have sung more. And um, and with Dan and Wally, they were insistent that I was singing. And the one song that I really sing lead in from beginning to end is the bluegrass favorite that most folks are familiar with called I'll Remember You Love in My Prayers. Yeah. And we've either... Done something wonderful, or we've completely butchered it, depending upon one's taste. But I always liked the Ralph Stanley version. That was on the first LP that I ever heard back in the nineteen seventies, or second LP. And Dan came up with. He said, "Let's. Um, I want you to sing this lower, and then I think together we added the the other chords." And really changed the song. Mm-hmm. Um, I still like singing it bluegrass style. And so depending upon the context, I'll just let it go that way. I think I've done that on the stage of the Midwest Banjo Camp uh, some year. But but yeah, it really changed the song. And then we started, you know, working on harmonies and things got kind of, you know, working on suspensions and, uh, you know, appoggiaturas, whatever those things are called. <laughs> uh, and And creating fancy harmony. And, you know you got to be really careful because you're making a bluegrass record and you don't want it to sound too precious. And I certainly have been guilty of creating a lot of precious music in my time. And, and so we were all kind of wary of that. But then you, we went with it. We went with what felt good.
0: Go where you
1: will, on land or on sea. I'll share Sorrows and cares, and the night when I need you by my bedside to pray, I'll remember
0: you, love.
1: So so, and then the harmony singing, I ended up singing the highest range of anybody in the band. And and that's been kind of the result of the fact that, well, when I was back in California, I had a monthly gig with some great musicians, Jim Dunnley, Chad Manning, Tom Beckany and Steve Pottier, who are all well-known California musicians at a pub. We called it Bangers and Grass because of the English theme of the pub. And we never had a rehearsal. We played for eight years in a row, almost every month, just taking requests of course, you end up playing the same things over and over again. Well, Jim Nunnally has a pretty high voice anyway, and you can hear him with the Nell and Jim Band these days. And I would have to sing tenor above him, and I just, I just, the result of doing that at least once a month increased my vocal range. You just kind upward. of
0: stretched it, stretched it up it there a little bit.
1: It did. And of course, we haven't sung and played together lately. So if we were to do that again, I might be back down into, you know, more of my um, not so high tenor range. But that helped, too. And then when I was able to go into these recordings with Dan and Wally, uh, I sang higher than I knew, thought that I could sing.
0: Hey, sorry to interrupt everybody, but I just couldn't resist an opportunity to tell you about the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted instruments. And that, of course, is Elderly Instruments, which is a family-owned business located in Lansing, Michigan. But if you're not in Lansing, that's okay. They ship worldwide, too. And they just have a vast selection of acoustic guitars, electric guitars, ukuleles, mandolins all the accessories and books that you'd want for either of those, and of course plenty and plenty of banjos. And something that people don't often think about when you're buying stuff like that, particularly entry-level instruments, is the fact that they have a world-renowned repair shop as well. When all those instruments come into the store, if they do not pass a thorough setup and inspection by the repair shop, they get sent back, and that sometimes angers the suppliers of Elderly Instruments, but it lets you know that Elderly stands by their products, and they also have a helpful and knowledgeable sales staff to help you find what you need, and you can be confident that you're going to get something that is set up to Elderly's high-quality standards. So if that sounds great, and I know it does, check them out at Elderly.com or call 517-372-7880 to speak to one of their helpful salespeople. It's where I go, and it's where you should go, too. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also proud to be sponsored by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses, perfect for quarantine, by the way, but they have courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. For example, listen to some of the courses, these are just the banjo courses that they offer. Uh, a couple different classes with Bill Evans, such as beginning banjo and bluegrass banjo. You can learn Clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Mulski, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and also contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wesley Corbett. And each of those courses includes high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play along tracks and plenty of tunes and songs to play so it's everything you need to up your skills especially in these isolated times and listen up because this is the best part if you join any of peghead nation's video courses now you're going to get your first month free by going to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code pickyfingers at checkout That's Picky Fingers, all one word, all lowercase, at pegheadnation.com. Check it out. Let's go back to your original compositions. There's two of them. You already mentioned the jig. And typically, if you tell someone that you're contributing a couple banjo tunes to an album, they're going to expect sled riding or something like that. And you wrote a jig, and then also... (laughs) Uh, your other one, Road to Ruidoso. So I was going to ask what Ruidoso was. You've already explained what that is. That's your new hometown in New yeah. Mexico, so that answers yeah. that. But that, while not, while it's not a particularly slow piece, it is a little more of a moody piece rather than um, hard driving, whatever you want to call it. Sled,
1: it's not sled riding. It is not it is not sled riding although we have a ski resort up here. <laughs> yeah. Close enough. <laughs> just just for just for the record. Um it was a tune that uh was written during during the period in which my life was transitioning to New Mexico and it captured in a musical feeling what I was experiencing which you know it's hard to hard to convince anyone listening to a piece of banjo music that it could be, you know, representative of some kind of radical change in emotions and revelations in life, but but I was just trying to do that musically. It's in the key of F, which is, you know, beautiful key that I first heard Alan Mundy play Darcy Farrow in uh, years ago, although Earl played a lot of cool things in F without a capo, too, by the way. And, um... The tune... I've also recorded the tune for my own record. Which, and the album may end up being called Road to uh, the, But This is I the one that's in
0: a- progress that you
1: mentioned before? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the same. And uh, we just... The, the actual the other version that was going to be on my record got recorded first and 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 since uh, it seemed like this record with dan was going to come out sooner um dan i knew that dan would have a really great he'd play it really well because it fits in with his his concept of this orchestral kind of feel to the guitar and and so it worked it worked really well and uh and it's it is kind of a medium tempo piece, um, three sections, uh, a little bit crooked, so it drives people crazy when I put a chord chart in front of them, and I say, no, 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 second ending, go there, no, no, skip that line, now go back. Um, but and there's but, um, minor chords, what are, what are you trying to do here? Hey, here's, here's the thing, all you, all, you ban- all you banjo players, if you want to create something that you think is original, just do a one, four, five, but let the five be minor. Ooh, just try it sometime. So, G C D minor. Suddenly, it opens up the door to something that sounds like you're you're opening up, you know, you know, some some box of huge musical meaning. And that's where how that tune started, and the rest of it just went out from there. Always kind of with the mind of making it sound like something that could relate to bluegrass. So maybe there's a little bit of Bill Monroe, you know, ideas in there. <laughs> challenge for me with the piece I don't view myself as a great improviser especially in the studio because I'm not in there I'm not in the studio that much and so I cut it twice so I had to come up with two different things to play for the improv ah, <laughs> which, interesting. which for which for me is like you know oh my gosh how am I going to do that um but when the other record does come out I play something completely different play a different banjo too but I'm on it but yeah I I love playing that tune and uh and the, my writing has been moving in that direction, so when this other new record comes out, it's gosh, it's going to be perhaps really boring. It's a lot of mid-tempo pieces with a lot of sections, and that are kind of ruminative, ruminative <laughs> uh, in a way. And there's one or two big breakdown kinds of things, and then I'm going to sing a tune on it with my wife. So,
0: oh, I'm um, looking forward
1: to it. And, yeah, and, and, thank you, thank and you. And there's
0: not really like an estimated date on that it sounds like it's just gonna kind of depend on circumstances
1: sooner rather than later because i just got to get back into the bay area and get everybody in that studio those are two big huge things because the studio is currently shut down mm-hmm. uh and got to get john reichman down from canada which is another thing uh and then just have t- three songs left and we'll be done we've got got like 33 minutes already recorded so that's that's already you know kind of approaching uh you know approaching an album length a lot of double fiddles on it which is cool i would never done that before
0: oh definitely um
1: Yeah. And one more thing to relate to the Road to Riadoso song in terms of the album. Uh, There is another instrumental on the album, which is Crazy Creek, which is kind of insane because Dan chose to play the 12-string guitar on it. Uh And there is a tradition of that in country music. And I'll give give you listeners five seconds to think about this. This is like, it could be a Jeopardy question. The other person that played... 12 string lead guitar in our music is glenn campbell who actually was an incredible is an incredible was an incredible lead guitar player and uh, he was a studio musician before he became famous and uh, and he played 12 string leads on a lot of things and for dan has always been interested in trying to play these fiddle tunes on 12 string guitar which is what he did on crazy creek and of course that tune if you've played it i know a lot of you have played it it's crazy <laughs> And so that was our more faster tempo instrumental there. So we, we could balance it with Road to Riadoso and not be entirely apologetic.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you and you added a little bit of a cool arrangement even to,
1: to Crazy Creek, if I remember right. There's a little bit of a... Um... do 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 do, 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 do. It's, it's, a, it's a descending figure in fourths that's maybe from a Miles Davis record that Steve Spurgeon had found somewhere. And huh. and Dan is going to go. Dan is going to go for something like that all the time <laughs> yeah. to throw that in. Cool. Yeah. Oh, and then and then there is a uh, another counter melody. This is way too much information. Uh, that that appears about three quarters of the way through the song. That sounds like Crazy Creek. So if you've never heard the song before, you wouldn't even necessarily be aware that it, oh, we we're playing a different song. And that was Dan too. He he wrote the chords. He wrote the melody. And he'd been playing this for a number of years. Before I joined the trio, um, the mandolin and fiddler Martin Stevens, a young man from Portland, Oregon, had been playing with Dan a little bit, and Martin had learned that part. And so I had to go back and learn that whole thing, and it took me a while to get it right. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all Dan, man. I mean, he's Amazing. And the gospel medley that ends the record is very unusual. It starts off with two shape note hymns, which is fiddle and banjo, just beginning. And then we do uh, the Stanley Brothers, which has a deep connection for Dan because he started listening to the Stanley Brothers in the early 1950s. He was a DJ in Kansas. Oh, really? Playing bluegrass bluegrass and country records as as a college student. You know, that was his college job. And then we end it with another kind of early American song that Dan arranged. Um, With polyphony, polyphony means that the singers don't sing the same thing at the same time. And we don't hear that very often in bluegrass music. So that was all Dan to that whole thing and that turned out it's different and it turned out really well we shall, we shall rise resurrection morn when those prison bars are broken we and shall rise we shall rise we shall rise we shall resurrection morn when those prison bars are broken we shall rise we shall rise we shall rise we shall resurrection morn when those prison bars
0: Dan actually arranged the vocals on that? Yes. Oh cool.
1: Yeah and it's yeah, that's a cool tune. Yeah, there, thank you. And there are moments where, you know, the easiest way to communicate to somebody is to actually write it out of musical notation, which he did. And, and then we had to learn how to read the notation. (laughs) I actually knew how to read it, but, but, but uh, it came close. Yeah. And that's how we rehearsed it is uh, from the notation. And then, and then we got it. Very interesting stuff. And from the mind of Dan Crary. You know, uh, uh, very interesting guy. And again, because he wasn't a professional, you know, full-time professional musician out there touring, there's a lot there that people aren't aware of. And hopefully this album reveals some of that. Yeah, yeah, I hope so,
0: too. Now, I'm not familiar enough with uh, Wally or Dan's singing to, to parse out who's doing the lead vocals on, mm. on some of these. Who who are the singers like, uh, I don't know, for example, all just to get to you. Is that Wally singing that, or is that
1: Wally Barnick has kind of the warmer country voice? Mm-hmm. So he's singing "Sunny Stream" and "All Just to Get to You," uh, the Joe Ely song. Uh, and Dan has the lower voice he 's singing twenty twenty vision Memphis in the meantime, Ratlin roar and Willie ah gotcha yeah okay and dan is Dan has always sung you know with Berlin Crary and Hickman and his own records he 's done lots of singing, so his voice will be likely familiar to a lot of folks. Uh, Wally you know again is well known in California. California scene tends to be you know kind of have its own energy in lots of ways. But because it costs a lot of money to get a band on an airplane and fly them somewhere, we tend to some sometimes groups stay in California quite a bit. But the Cash Valley Drifters, kind of a really well known group. I remember in college buying the Cash Valley Drifters' "Flying Fish" record with the song "White Room." That was their big hit. You know, the Cream's the yeah, white the, the cover, Room. yeah, yeah. And they've been around forever. and uh, And he still plays bass. They're now a trio. And he still plays with them uh, and a wonderful singer. Uh, You know, it's interesting when you get into a band while he turned 70 and he was uh, in the Navy and served in Vietnam for two years in 1968 and 69 on those pontoon boats that went up the Mekong Delta. And so this is like what is covered in the, and what is it? The, apocalypse now and yeah. you know those movies and and one cannot imagine a a more uh terrible situation you know and uh, it's just interesting i i kept you know i think about i i was too young to serve you know i didn't serve uh you know a lot of the young people that i know of course none of us have lived in wartime in that way some of us have been to you know been to the middle east conflicts and stuff but but you know what am I trying to say here? By the time you get sixty or seventy or eighty, you've maybe you've lived a life, and and what you've learned in that life could be important to someone who's who's younger, mm-hmm. who might not think about it otherwise. And so, the Bluegrass Situation did a profile of the band, and I was very excited because, you know we were more than twice the median age of the typical subject matter of the bluegrass situation. Yeah. And, the, and, and so as they were asking us questions, you know, Dan and, and Wally were saying, oh God, what what are we going to say? How do we answer this? And I just said to Wally, I want, I want the readers to know about your service in Vietnam at some point. And so he, he, and you can go to that article and take a look at it. But one of the questions was, how did you get into music? And he said, well, I spent two years going up in these, you know, pontoon boats in the Mekon Delta. And the footnote that he didn't mention was that, you know, people were dying almost every day, you know, on one side or the other. And one of the guys had a turntable back at the base and would order albums. But it was like oh, the doors. Yeah. And, Sly and the Fal- it was kind of the heavier end of the late 60s stuff. And then he came out of the Vietnam War saying, I want to play music. You know, music will be my refuge. Very interesting stuff for us all to think about, you know, um, on a lot of levels. Yeah. So Wally is a great guy Wally's a great guy, really warm vocalist, and he makes his living kind of as a lounge lizard on on all those, uh, central California bars Uh and restaurants. And even though we're in shutdown, you know, even California, he's still, he's gigging five nights, five days a week, right, right now. And we're recording this in late June, uh, at these, outdoor restaurants with social distancing yeah. and stuff. And he carries a big, carries a big book about five inches thick and he's got um, an amplifier and that carries his vocal and an electric and an Takamine guitar or something. And if somebody says low rent rendezvous, you know, he goes to L and then, <laughs> and then, you know, a low rent rendezvous, and he's got you, a- know, you know, yeah, yeah. He's, his repertoire is, is large. And so he brought, the Joe Ely tune to the band mm-hmm. he's brought a lot of things to the band that he thought we could do and Dan and I were like, uh, you know, we want to be really careful converting these rock and roll songs and, and we did Seven Bridges Road, which yeah. is like, you know, that might that might be a big offense enough as it is um, and because, uh, you know, there's a long tradition of bluegrass bands doing rock songs and maybe that's worn itself out a little bit but but they ended up sounding good for us both of them and, and so we included them. So so, Wally is a kick to work with, and he's got a beautiful wife, five kids, innumerable grandchildren, and you know he's he's living the life on the Central California coast. Man, it's beautiful. There. Sounds like it's it. incredible. Wow, yeah, it's great. A little bit warmer than the Bay Area uh, mm-hmm. year round, but not as hot as not as hot as the interior. And you know, it's vacation land. People come from all over the world. and There's wine country there. Yeah, I was too, just going to so. ask
0: if it was if that's where we were talking as. as
1: by, yeah. the, by the wine. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's, he doesn't have to travel and he gets to play five days a week, you know. Well, so I'm glad, it, I'm glad, more power he's, to him. I'm glad he's hanging in there. It sounds like that's cool. Yeah. 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 Hey,
0: so, cool. so another cool aspect of the more sparse instrumentation is that we get to uh, hear a little more of the, the subtlety and the tone of your banjo. What, what banjos were you using? Banjo slash banjos were you using for this recording? And what else
1: can you say about the, the sound you were able to capture. Yeah, thank you. Um, I used what has been my main uh, banjo for the last 12 years, which is a 1930 Flathead Granada. Right. It left the factory as a, as a flathead. It was a tenor, and uh, it was a banjo that I had acquired from Sonny Osborne, and um, it's been my main instrument since then. And I've tried a different different necks on it, and so for that at that particular time, um, I think the first sessions I had a maple neck on it, the the setup that it's had all along, and about midway through the sessions uh, I put a mahogany neck on it. The, you know Earl Scruggs had a mahogany neck on his Granada for a good many years in the late 50s and early 60s. When you're listening to Foggy Mountain Banjo, it is said uh, Earl Earl had a mahogany neck, and a lot of those early. the the 60s era around the time of the Ballad of Jed Clampett recording that's a mahogany neck supposedly I may not be there are others that know more details on this than I do I love the sound of Earl's banjo from that period Um, the playing may not be as fiery as it has been in other you know other points in his career but the sound of the instruments very well recorded you know Bob Johnston uh, was the producer for a lot of those Flat and Scruggs records an African American guy who also just happened to produce "Like a Rolling Stone" by Bob Dylan? I just had wow. to say that. Very, yeah, I interesting. had no idea. Very that's really in- cool. Yeah, check I'm glad that you out. That. Open up your. Open up your Bear Family box set, and you see the word Bob. You know, see the producer Bob Johnson, and he recorded bringing it all back home, and you know, a couple of those Dylan oh. albums. But at any rate, uh, when Dylan was in Nashville, Bob Johnston was the producer. But which I think is just awesome. Um, and and so the mahogany sound gives it uh a little more of, of a direct kind of in your face sound. It's so difficult to explain how these differences work. Where the maple is more bell-like. Yeah. It's the only thing I can say. And um I, you know, it's a different sound for me. The banjo sounds different on this record than it does on on, say, the In Good Company record. And um only used one microphone. I I don't get too been out of shape about studio things. I probably need to learn more than I do know about it. Uh, I, you know, I don't take my Norman microphones in there because I don't own any. Uh, <laughs> but we used a great, we we used a great, great studio uh, in in Cambria, California, called Painted Sky. And this guy has worked with everybody from members of the Eagles to you know to Linda Ronstadt. You know, a lot of California acts. And I got to have my input as to what I wanted it to sound like. And you know, when it comes to mixing, we're always trying to boost the banjo up, of course. you work with these rock, you work with these rock guys and they, you know, the, the terminology that, that someone will use is coloring vehicle. Uh, <laughs> which means, which means we're going to turn it down where you can hardly see, <laughs> hardly hear it. But, but we kept boosting it and I was always saying, don't EQ it, don't EQ it, no echo, no reverb, don't do anything. And so we managed to win those battles most of the time, all the way through mastering. And I'm really happy with the sound of the banjo on that record. Since then, I've put another maple neck on it it's just I just like to play around with it and uh, Charlie Cushman is my guru in this Uh, if you have an old Gibson banjo and you want to take it to the most maximum sound that it can possibly give you I just recommend leaving it with Charlie Cushman for a couple of days and and in regard to this Granada it's been a long-term project I've been taking this banjo to him once every year for the last three or four years and and every single time it sounds better yeah that's incredible Uh, and and yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I wake up every morning wanting to play that particular banjo. I'm blessed to have other old banjos in the house now, but that one's still my go-to yeah. record or go-to instrument. Now on my solo record that'll be coming out hopefully, you know, before too long, I actually used another Granada that I own, uh, that is, it has a, uh, a blaylock ring in it, but otherwise it's a 1930s pot and it was owned, um, uh, by Jim Rollins, who was a really well-beloved person in the pre-war Gibson banjo community. He lived in South Carolina. He was an engineer. He owned a lot of great banjos. And he would show up at banjo gatherings and festivals, and he was a good crow-style player. And... um and I was lucky. I knew him. He was, he was a he was a friend, and I was lucky to to get his Granada uh, when Charlie Cushman was liquidating the estate for his, for his fam for the for Jim Rollins' yeah. family, and and that that banjo is also incredible, really really great. And so on the new record that's coming out, it's a, it's that banjo, and it has a real diff real different. Well, that'll
0: sound. be fun, so, you know, just as a a scientific yeah. banjo exercise to to hear all these. Yeah, yeah. And well, I think that's it for my for my notes, Bill. Is there any other like particular highlights of the album that you that you felt you really wanted to to point out or share, or maybe aspects, certain uh, songs that you're uh, particularly proud of that you want to point people toward, or?
1: Uh, thanks, uh, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to do this interview and tell people about the pro, uh, album again. It's called Primetime. One can go to my website, BillEvansBanjo.com, and purchase a hard copy to help us repay the debt that we will owe for the rest of our lives (laughs) on the making of the record. Uh, But you can also listen to Apple Music, Spotify, all the usual sources. I would just say listen to Dan, man. The the thing that makes me happiest about the record is that Dan sounds great. And, and, uh, you know, I'm real happy with what I did. I was just trying to play along in a way that was appropriate to what everybody else was doing. Dan just blew me away on the record. Yeah, well, I think I think it achieved that goal on, in both senses of highlighting
0: Dan, and I, th- I think you did a good job of doing your job and, and giving him some tasty sounding banjo to uh, to, to play you. over. It, it's really enjoyable. Thank you. You you stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to ask where people can can go to find it, oh. and you, you you stole my thunder. So. Yeah, highly, highly recommended, and I hope you keep hanging in there. Sounds like you're doing good, and I'm glad to hear that. And, yeah,
1: let's, let's keep in same, touch. Same to you. Same to you, and same to all your listeners as well. You know, hang in there. Let's, let's you know, think about how great it's going to feel to make music on the other side. It's yeah. going to be great. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah! I'm excited for that, and thank you again for keep, and thank you again for keeping this podcast going strong. It's been a great thing to get to know so many great players and get so much inspiration from all these people out there who are playing banjo. I
0: don't, I don't know if anyone's as inspired by it as I am. So it's, it's
1: my pleasure, but <laughs> I, I appreciate you, your kind words. Cool. You're welcome. I hope to, and I hope to see you uh, in Michigan. Uh, If not this fall, you know, for the Great Lakes Music Camp, maybe uh, at at the Midwest Banjo Camp next year. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. Take care, man. And and I hope, you know, give give prime time a listen, everybody. Hope you enjoy it.
0: appreciate it. And there you have it. That's going to do it for this freshly picked episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. You heard a bunch of sound clips. And if you like what you heard, you really need to check out that album that Bill and I have been talking about for the last hour. That's Prime Time by Cray Evans and Barnick. Once again, thank you to Greg, the Patreon supporter of today's podcast. Go to patreon.com/slash banjo podcast to find out how you can support the show. And another way to support the show is please buy t-shirts, banjo Go to the shop there. Other than that, get a hold of me at Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast at gmail.com. And that's going to do it for now. I'll be back soon with another episode. Not sure yet if it's going to be an interview or a lesson or another freshly picked series, but um, I'll get to work on that. You get to work on enjoying the rest of your summer, and I will see you all soon.